Welcome to the Southside Sermons Podcast. I am Christopher Campbell, pastor of Southside Baptist Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. This message you're about to hear is from God's Word and is offered to you with this prayer that God would give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to obey His Word. May your faith be strengthened in Jesus, and may you grow in your knowledge of Him. The book of Acts is a two-part work, inspired by God and written by a man named Luke. As Luke writes his narrative about all that Jesus began to do and teach, a narrative carefully researched and investigated and compiled from eyewitnesses, who were with Jesus, and how he recorded it in an orderly way, a narrative that we call the Gospel of Luke. And then, as Luke continues to write the continuation of that narrative in the book of Acts, it's very important that we all remember who Luke is writing to and why. Both the Gospel of Luke and Acts are addressed to a man named Theophilus, And Luke writes to Theophilus for a specific purpose. It's found in Luke chapter 1 verse 4 that says that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. That's why Luke's writing. So Theophilus might have certainty concerning the things that he had been taught. How did Luke arrive at such a certainty about what he knows about Jesus? How do we find such a certainty about what we have been taught concerning the Lord? How do we overcome certain doubts that we might have? How can we have confidence in what we believe even when our understanding or knowledge is found to be incomplete? I don't know everything there is to know about God, do you? Luke writes to Theophilus because he has found an answer that completes his confidence in the things of God. Luke is so certain of this that he knows Theophilus will find such a certainty too. And God has inspired and preserved his word for us so that we, like Theophilus, may also know and live and teach with this same certainty about Jesus also. Acts chapter 18 reveals the source of completion that leads to certainty for all followers of God. By the time of Acts chapter 18, Paul has already completed his second missionary journey, being led by the Spirit to carry the word of God to Philippi in Macedonia, southwest to Thessalonica, down to Berea, and then south to the region of Achaia, to the city of Athens, and then over to Corinth, where Paul remained, the Bible says, for one year and six months, and then many days longer. And while he was there, in Acts chapter 18 and verse 5, it tells us that Paul was, and I love this phrase, occupied with the word. That means he was absorbed with the word the ministry of the word, teaching the word of God. Well, after some time, Paul left Corinth to travel back to the region of Syria where his sending church in Antioch is located. And Paul took with him on this return journey a couple by the name of Priscilla 
and Aquila. Paul met Priscilla and Aquila when he was in Corinth. Aquila was a Jew. He and his wife Priscilla had been forced to leave Italy, their homeland, because the Roman Emperor Claudius had commanded that all the Jews had to leave Rome. And this act of Claudius is certainly an act of discrimination and persecution, but we have learned to see these events as Christians through a different lens, as yet another act of God's positioning. God uses this edict of Claudius to mobilize and position Aquila and Priscilla to be in Corinth at such a time when they would meet the Apostle Paul while he was there. And this is no accident or coincidence. And these three, Aquila, Priscilla, and Paul, have important roles in the advancement of the gospel. When Paul left Corinth, joined by Priscilla and Aquila, they made a stop at Ephesus, the large port city of Asia. And this is worth noting because Asia was the place Paul originally attempted to travel to at the start of his journey. But God, the Holy Spirit, prevented him from speaking the word there in Asia. In Acts chapter 18, verses 19 and 20, it says that they came to Ephesus, but Paul went into the synagogue and he reasoned with the Jews. When the Jews asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. Paul did not consent. Paul said no to their invitation. Here in this Asian city where Paul wanted to go at first, he's not met with Jewish opposition. He's not dragged out of the city and stoned. A riot is not instigated. Instead, he is invited to stay longer. It's an open door, but Paul declines. And we can only conclude that this prohibition of the Spirit was still in place. The, the Lord did not want him yet to go. Speak the word in Asia. This wasn't the time. This wasn't the journey. Paul doesn't say yes when God says no. Paul doesn't attempt to open doors that the Lord has already closed. Paul has learned not to work against God, but to live in obedience to God and the Spirit's leading. Paul knows that God holds the future, that God positions in time and space for his purposes, that God sends Paul where God first has gone before and prepared hearts for the reception of the word. Effective ministry is only found in following God with God. So Paul stops by Asia on his return trip, but he's just passing through. He's not going to stay. Perhaps he may return on another day, but Paul has learned to qualify his future with these words. If God wills. Verse 21 of chapter 18, it says, taking leave of them in Ephesus, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. If God wills, I will be back. Paul knows that he will only find success in going where God wills for him to go. And he knows God is already working somewhere, preparing hearts for where he is going to be sent next. And so Paul leaves Ephesus. 
He travels down to Caesarea, then back to Antioch. And from Antioch, he visits and he strengthens the disciples in the regions of Galatia and Phrygia once again. Paul has a concern for seeing through what God started in him, seeing it through to completion. And he revisits the places where he's already planted churches and he's made disciples to strengthen them. And then we come to Acts chapter 18 and verse 24 that introduces us to a man named Apollos. It says, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. Apollos is a Jew by religion and an Alexandrian by nationality. Alexandria is a city in Egypt, and he's described as an eloquent man. This is the only use of that word eloquent in the Bible. It can mean one of two things here. It either tells us that Apollos had an ability to speak well in a convincing and attractive way, or that he was a learned man or a cultured man. He's also described as being competent in the scriptures. That word competent is a word that can also mean powerful. He was powerful in the scriptures. He's well-versed. This is part of his nature, being as eloquent as he is. He, he knows the word of God, and he has an ability and competency to understand it and to speak it well. As we think about Apollos, think also about Moses. Moses was not a good speaker, but God used Moses in a mighty way. Apollos is a good speaker, and God will use Apollos in a mighty way. We often hear of God taking the lowly and the weak and using what is despised in the world to show himself strong. But there's another message that we are shown in Scripture through Apollos, where the Scriptures reveal to us a man who is capable, who is mighty in word and speech and learning, with natural abilities and giftedness, who God also uses mightily. God uses people from all walks of life. God can and will use you. Look at verse 25 with me. It says, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now that word instructed is the word katecheo, katecheo. If you grew up in a religious tradition that practiced catechesis, or you learned a catechism, it's the same word. It's a detailed and systematic teaching or instruction. He had been brought up to know God in God's ways. Apollos had been catechized in the way of the Lord. And this next phrase in verse 25 that says, And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Being fervent in spirit literally means boiling in spirit. It's a way of speaking of Apollos' enthusiasm. His excitement, his emotions, boiling over. He was eager to speak and teach about the Lord. But this phrase, being fervent in spirit, may also be translated being fervent in the spirit. The original language of Greek has the word the before spirit. 
So the meaning is debated among interpreters. Was he fervent in spirit, as in enthusiastic, or was he fervent because of the Holy Spirit? Either way, the scriptures tell us that Apollo spoke and taught accurately the things about Jesus. The scriptures present for us a man who is able to teach things about Jesus accurately, but he does not know Jesus completely. Apollos' teaching was incomplete because verse 25 ends by saying, Apollos knew only the baptism of John. Now the baptism of John is the baptism of John the Baptist, whose mission in life was to prepare the way for the coming Savior, to prepare the way for Jesus, the Christ, the anointed of God. And Luke wrote about John saying in Luke 3.3 that John went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. John called God's people to repent, to turn from their sins. And John baptized people in water, meaning he immersed people in water as a washing to signify that those who are being baptized identified and received John's proclamation of repentance in preparation for the coming of Christ. To know John's baptism meant to know John's message. To know John's message meant to know that a greater one is coming after him and a greater baptism is coming after him. John said, as Luke records in Luke 3.16, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the who? The Holy Spirit and fire. Apollos knew the things in Scripture that pertain to Jesus. He taught these things accurately. He knew John's message, that a mightier one is coming. He knew to prepare. But it appears that Apollos did not know that Jesus was this Christ. He did not know that what he was teaching was accurate, but yet incomplete. Jesus is the mightier one to come, who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so look with me at verse 26. Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. It is my understanding that what Priscilla and Aquila showed Apollos was that the Christ, the mightier one who is coming in John's message, is Jesus. In other words, the things Apollos taught were about Jesus, about the Christ, but Priscilla and Aquila introduced Apollos to Jesus by explaining to him that the Christ of Scripture is this one who came after John, this Jesus. They completed his message. They completed John's story with Jesus. They taught about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. After how Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he ascended into heaven, and the Holy Spirit descended at Pentecost. What Apollos taught was accurate, but it was not complete. Priscilla and Aquila explained more accurately the way of God by explaining who Jesus is to him. 
because Jesus is the key to understanding the ways of God. If we have not Jesus, we do not have the complete story of God. All of God's working out of salvation throughout history and his fulfillment of promises finds completion only in Jesus. God's way is completed in Jesus who himself is the way to God. If I stand before a diverse audience of people and say, God is good, most would say amen to that statement. I agree, God is good. But if I say, God is good and Jesus is God, not everyone agrees with that statement. You see, Apollos was teaching the ways of God, but he did not know that Jesus was the way. Notice that Apollos listened to what Priscilla and Aquila had to say to him. This eloquent, cultured Jew from Alexandria is a lesson for us in humility. He allowed himself to be taught more accurately. He was an honest learner. He was eager to know the truth, even if it meant realizing that what he taught was not complete. Also interesting is that Priscilla's name is mentioned before Aquila's, giving her a more prominent position. That's how the Greek language works. The name mentioned first is more prominent. This is odd in this culture of this day for a woman's name to be given more prominence. It may very well be that Priscilla was the one more involved in teaching Apollos, which shows this man's humility even more in the culture of this day, being willing to be taught and corrected more accurately by a woman. Look with me at verse 27. It says, and he, when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. Rather than publicly rebuking Apollos and embarrassing him in the synagogue, they take him aside and privately explain the way of God more accurately, and thereby they encourage him. And they send him off wherever he desires to go with letters of recommendation, with their blessing, with their encouragement. And in doing this, the disciples, the Christians, unleash a great help and a mighty teacher for those in the region of Achaia and specifically for the city there named Corinth. Paul will later write of Apollos' ministry in Corinth by saying, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. This man, Apollos, was used by God in a process of growing the church in Corinth. And verse 28 says, he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures, and now you see his complete message, that the Christ was Jesus. That word powerfully in this verse may be translated as vigorously or vehemently. He refuted the Jews. Apollos was a force to be reckoned with. He was emboldened by the encouragement and the nurturing and the correction of Priscilla and Aquila and the disciples. And he refuted the Jews. This means he overwhelmed their arguments and he did it out in the open, publicly, 
showing, that word means proving, demonstrating by the scriptures. Notice his source, again, the word of God, by the scriptures, proving that the Christ is Jesus. He knew the things of Jesus before, but now he knows Jesus as the Christ. He knew the baptism of John before, but now he knows the baptism of the Christ who came. Just as Apollos' teaching was made more complete by Priscilla and Aquila, Luke records a similar event now with the Apostle Paul about this same time but in a different place. Look with me at chapter 19, verse 1. It says, it happened, which, uh, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Now this is Paul's third missionary journey, launched out from Antioch again, and he finally comes to Asia, to Ephesus, returning as he promised he would if God wills. And we know that God willed for it because it happened. And he finds some disciples. That word disciple, it simply means a follower of someone. We aren't told who these disciples are following there in Ephesus, but we are told that they were believers in the message of John the Baptist. And so Paul asked them a question. Look with me at verse 2. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now notice that according to Acts chapter 19 and verse 2, a mark of a believer, of a disciple of Jesus, is the Holy Spirit of God. Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Not when you were baptized. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you what? Believed. Salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit's conditioned not upon a work like baptism, but on belief. Just as verse 27 ended by saying, they believed through grace. But these disciples have not heard about the Holy Spirit. Their knowledge of God is incomplete. And so Paul asked them another question. Verse 3, he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. So like Apollos, these disciples knew John's message. They knew that a mightier one was coming. They knew what it meant to prepare themselves through repentance. They were baptized and united with John's message, but it appears that they did not know Jesus or that Jesus was the one John was preparing for. They were not yet united with Jesus or his baptism. And so what does Paul do? He introduces them to Jesus. Look with me at verse 4. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. And then look at verses five and six. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. What is implied in these verses and what is visible to us through their actions is that these disciples believed that Jesus is the one John spoke about, that Jesus is the Christ. 
And just as John proclaimed that the mightier one would baptize with the Holy Spirit, these disciples are baptized in the name of Jesus, identifying with his person and his work, and they receive the Holy Spirit. And just as at Pentecost, the Spirit came upon these disciples in this land of Asia, where Paul was originally prohibited from speaking the word of God, and now the word of God is proclaimed in power in Jesus' name. Look at verse 7, says there were about 12 men in all. So God gives Paul 12 helpers, just as Jesus had 12 disciples to begin this ministry of the word in Ephesus. How do we find such a certainty about what we have been taught concerning the Lord? How do we overcome certain doubts? How do we have confidence in what we believe even when our understanding or knowledge is found to be incomplete? Apollos found completion in Jesus. The 12 disciples found completion in Jesus. Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila proclaimed the Christ as Jesus. The resounding answer of Acts chapter 18 and all of the scripture is Jesus. Jesus is the source of completion that leads to certainty for all followers of God. For all of us who hear this message, we are compelled by this text to examine whether we know the word of God only or whether we know also the God of the word. Whether we know the word of life or whether we also know the living word. There is no salvation or receiving of the Holy Spirit or forgiveness of sins or eternal life apart from knowing Jesus Christ. Jesus is the author, beginning, and completion of our salvation. It is guaranteed in him. And Paul will expound this as he later writes to the church at Ephesians and explain how all of the spiritual blessings are available to us in this Christ. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. As surely as God is faithful, Paul will write, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. In Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are completed, equipped for every good work. In Jesus, we may have confidence and boldness as we undertake the ministry of the word following God. If you're listening to this message and you would say that you are religious you believe there is a God. Maybe you've even been baptized. But you're finding that something is incomplete. Perhaps you identify with Apollos or these 12 disciples. Perhaps you know only the baptism of John, but not the baptism of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The gospel according to Acts chapter 18 is that Jesus is what is incomplete in your life. Jesus will complete what you are lacking. Until you know Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the only one the scriptures point to, the only way to God, 
your faith is incomplete. There is no forgiveness apart from him. This is the message that we demonstrate and that we proclaim boldly to the world as Christians, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and on the third day, he was raised according to the scriptures. In Jesus Christ, the scriptures find completion. Thank you again for listening to this message. I pray that God would accomplish his purpose in you through the preaching, hearing, receiving, and believing of his word. If you wish to share any comments or questions about the message you have heard, please call Southside at 256-353-8814 or visit us on the web at southsidebaptist.net. Also, make sure to subscribe or follow this podcast to receive a new message each week.